We back. We back. Star Trek Generations is back in full effect for season two. Uh, get your transwarp drives ready because we are off to the Delta Quadrant where uh, the Zhuzh is going to be the first three seasons of Star Trek Voyager, the pre-seven seasons, which I have just finished rewatching. Um, thought about a new format of the show. So as you know from, from last season, uh, we would kind of go episode by episode. Uh, and did I say what my name is yet? Did I say? It's already late in the day here, so... Uh, although there is coffee in that nebula, I have not had much of it yet. I'm Jack Tracy. Did I say that? I'll find out when I edit this. Anyway, we're doing seasons one through three of Voyager because instead of what we did last season, which was episode by episode, and we'd pick episodes from different series, I thought this could be a neat change. It also stops us from going too deep into the episodes, which might get a little monotonous, and actually take a season approach, tackling a couple different episodes, maybe a couple themes, relationships that could have been developed, things that could have been axed entirely. And so this is the very first episode. So we will be starting with Caretaker, an entire episode dedicated to the pilot Caretaker. Um, for those of you just joining us, the concept of See, I got to talk about the us thing. For those of you just joining us in terms of the Star Trek Zhuzh community is what I mean by us. Um, for those of you just joining, to Zhuzh is to um, make something better, fix it, uh, make it more presentable, more attractive. And so the concept is to take the more challenging aspects of the Star Trek universe and try to, you know, fix them a little bit. Like, we're... Were I in the writer's room uh, with 20 to 30 years of hindsight? Um, and of course, when we do this, if there's ever a Star Trek writer that's listening to this being like, um, how dare you? Fully understand that there are budget constraints and studio problems and a lot of voices in the room and things that have to be done for reasons that I am not beholden to a budget. I am not beholden to um, studio notes or producers, or anything. So, you know, I love all of Star Trek, even the episodes that are kind of... Ugh. But um, I just thought it'd be a fun thing to, to sort of retcon a few things, tweak a few things. How, if maybe the show was ever redone, what kind of things do we think could have been done maybe a little better? So, starting with Caretaker. Now, a couple more housekeeping things. Of course, I have to mention... Uh, the fact that I am your host for season two. Last season, I was joined by the lovely Star Trek Irishman, uh, Sean Farrick. Uh, unfortunately for this season, Sean is way too busy with his stuff with Trek culture, his, um, uh, uh, his other podcasts, and of course, um, fucking people in Star Trek uniforms on his OnlyFans. <laughs> So uh, he doesn't have time for this podcast anymore, unfortunately. So you just get me. But hopefully you stick around because I'm cool, right? Don't answer that. Um, yeah, other other housekeeping things. Um, gonna Because of that, because it's just me, I'm not going to talk at you for 40 minutes. So I'm keeping an eye on the clock. Actually, I need to set the clock. Set the clock. I'm keeping an eye on the clock to make sure I do not go over like 20, 25 minutes. So there'll be shorter episodes uh, because it's just me talking at you. And um, hopefully get a couple guests in. 
Uh, the other thing I should, of course, mention is if you join the Star Trek Judge Patreon community, you get to see me on video doing this, and you get special extra perks and invitations to watch parties and all of that kind of stuff. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash Star Trek Zhuzh, Z-H-U-Z-H. Uh, and then you can also, through the, you can follow on Instagram at Star Trek Zhuzh. Um, that's where the episodes are announced, I interact, um, you can talk to me in the DMs, and you can get all of the links to all of the things. So the link to the uh, the Patreon and link to merch. So there is some really great Star Trek Jujurations merch. Uh, I wore all at the Las Vegas Con this year, got lots of compliments. So hopefully you'll like a few of those shirts and um, uh, oh, you get my mugs, shower curtains. They allow you to make a puzzle. It's all through Redbubble. Some of those like things are weird. It's like, why would I want this on a bath mat? Right. Right. So anyway, but if you'd like some merch, I, I'm not going to judge. You You. You buy whatever you want to buy to your heart's content. And uh, yeah, that's another way that you can support this podcast. And without further ado, I think it's time to take on Caretaker. So I always start with sort of a, where I was when Voyager aired, how I approach Voyager, my, my memories of Voyager. So Voyager in 95, I would have been 13. So I was just coming out of sort of action figure, because um, the Star Trek Next Generation Deep Space Nine action figures were my, that's what I played with all the time. The play sets, the, the tricorders, the phasers, all of it. And I think it was around this time and then First Contact especially when it was sort of like, I think I'm done with action figures. But I did get the Voyager ones. Um, so that's kind of where I was. Loved Star Trek. You know, was a total fan. I was really loving Deep Space Nine. Uh, not as much as I love Next Gen. Next Gen is still my favorite show of all time. Um, and when Voyager premiered, I was excited for a new show. I didn't like that it, the concept that it was going to be stranded in the Delta Quadrant because I thought, especially with Next Gen off the air and Deep Space Nine really just focused on um, Bajor and the Wormhole and the Gamma Quadrant, like, we didn't need to go to the Delta Quadrant. There's plenty of stuff at home and we could see the, you know, deal with more Federation things. And I just felt it really could have... I mean, I, I liked that it had a unique concept for sure, which I will talk about a bunch of how... The show, in some ways, not in all ways, uh, but in some ways, sort of said, we're going to be next-gen, but we're going to give this as a loose premise so that the um, the opening uh, captain's log can be, instead of, we have been sent to this planet, to, we are finding supplies on this planet, and really, there being no, and being able to introduce aliens you haven't seen before, which you still could have done. There was still exploring to do in the Alpha Quadrant. Anyway, it really didn't impact the format of the show that much, which is a zhuzh I have. Um, but that's for later on. So I remember UPN in the US launching and this being the flagship show. I'm pretty sure I set the VCR to record it and watched it later. I remember liking it for sure. But Voyager was one of those shows that I kind of trailed off with. Part of it is during its, you know, it was later, it was high school, you know, middle school, high school. 
you know, you get involved in other things. You're out, you're busy, uh, social life and all that sort of stuff. So I kind of fell off. Um, and I had always approached Voyager as sort of like, eh, until, until, you know, I saw Enterprise and it was like, Ooh. but, um, um, Voyager was sort of like, eh, and I have to say on a rewatch, I have much more love for it now. I always sort of said, like, oh, these characters, this character and this game, we'll talk about which ones I think, but this character wasn't well-developed and this one was kind of boring and I didn't like this one. And going back, I actually have love for each of the characters. Um, there are a couple that... I, I look at now like, oh, as an adult rewatching this, I actually really like some of these. And, and to be clear, whenever I talk about the characters, all of the actors are great. All of the lead actors are great. They do great jobs. It's more about like the writing and how they're developed and their backstories and their relationships with each other. So uh, nothing, I have nothing negative to say about any of the actors. Um, it is a really great group of people. Um, all right. So I'm not going to summarize Caretaker because if you are listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, I've never seen Star Trek Voyager. Why are you here? Like, why are you here? So I'm going to assume you've seen Caretaker. Maybe you haven't seen it in a while. So maybe you want to pause this episode right now, go back and watch it uh, and then come back and listen. But I'm sure you will remember. But because of that, I'm not going to go through. I'm not going to recite the plot to you. Go on Wikipedia. Go watch it. Like, I don't. I don't need to be doing that. Instead, I'm going to give you my general thoughts on sort of the pros and cons as we go throughout and then give you my zhuzh. All right, let's start. So my general thoughts on Caretaker, I thought I enjoyed that it was grand in scope. It didn't feel like, you know, just any other episode. In some ways, I feel, well, the next generation encounter for Farpoint is blech. And, um... It kind of, it, it feels like what it was, which was two different episodes just mushed together. Um, Emissary for Deep Space Nine was, I think, the best pilot, maybe even tied with or or just over The Strange New Worlds, a show that I love. Um, um, great pilot. Caretaker falls under those two for sure. I enjoyed that it was grand in scope. I thought it had a really great way to introduce the characters, actually succeeding more than Emissary did in that respect. Um, no, you didn't get to know much about them, but you know, you gotta you gotta get through a show. But I really liked the way they were introduced kind of one by one and and given a proper introduction to the show. The one who got the shortest shrift was Kess, but she did throughout the whole first three seasons, generally. Um, but I, I, I thought it was a great, great sort of introduce people as the story goes along. Great. Um, however, the plotting it, is fine. It gets bogged down at times. There's some real, like, slow moments that drag. And I think the biggest critique for me is that there's very little heart to it. It's a solid action adventure, but... There's not a lot of weight, and especially and especially one considering what the actual stakes of the episode are, being, like, lost and, you know, having to survive in the wilderness, basically. Um, and so, one, because of that, and two, coming off of Emissary, which was so heavy, 
and beautiful. And, you know, I still tear up watching that episode. And I feel like Voyager just, the caretaker just didn't do that. And so it was a bit of a disappointment coming off of something that was done so well with the Emissary. Uh, and there were ways that could have been done. Now, as we all know, there were problems in the production. It was expensive. It was delayed. They had to recast the captain. It was, so there may have been, at, as I said, I've got hindsight and no limits. So uh, critiquing it nearly 30 years later. So, um, right. Miss the mark with the weight. Um, Star Trek loves a caretaker. Man does it love a caretaker. It loves an advanced being that has no nothing better to do than to be a god to lesser developed or different, you know, planets and cultures. And man, do I find that incredibly overdone and boring. That is a great, like, one episode of one of the series. But Star Trek revisits that over and over and over again. I don't know if it's a way to sort of address religion in a way. Certainly on Deep Space Nine. Like, that's where they really did it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's overdone. And to go back to that kind of plot for, um, for the first episode of a brand new series, for the pilot, when Emissary did something so incredibly different and interesting, I thought... I don't know. I just, I really can't care about these caretakers taking care of these lesser beings anymore. I just, I can't. And if you really think about it, and I, I thought about it writing this outline, the caretaker Okampa thing is pretty much the prophets and the Bajorans minus the, you know, worshiping as gods. But it's the same thing. And the Bajorans got the nose and the Okampas got the ears. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's too similar. And man, are we going to get into that through this season of the ways in which Voyager takes things that were already done, usually on the next generation, and in most cases, does them less well. One particular one in season four, which is not part of this season, I thought they did expertly, which is scientific method being a better schisms. Anyway, that's not part of the show. It's not in the scope of the show. Why did I even bring it up? Because I watched it yesterday. All right. So I don't care about the... I, the, care, the whole caretaker thing. I just don't like it. And that's a problem because it's the general plot point of the of how they get there and how they stay there. Okay. I also really hate the relationship between Neelix and Cass. It's gross. She's two. And yes, they only live nine years, so then maybe that makes her 20. Uh, Neelix and Cass, it makes no sense for them to be a couple. There are other ways to give them a close relationship. There are other ways. Um, oh, I'm thinking of a change to my zhuzh. I'll, maybe I'll bring that up as an alternate zhuzh as I, in the last segment. But yeah, I just, it's, I just found it unbelievable, strange, and gross. I don't like that. I take that out. Okay. So I've broken the, the general plot into just four categories which I'll talk about, um, you know, beginning, Maki get lost, Jamie wants to get Tuvok, Tuvok, she goes and gets Tom to do it, okay? Biggest comment being, I, I like the opening, I like all of that, I'm, I have no, no issues. My biggest problem, and I'm sure everyone has said this, is that Tom Paris should have been Nick Locarno. Now, I have heard multiple theories on why this wasn't done, multiple stories, the, the one 
that I believed until about a couple of weeks ago, until I talked to somebody else who had other information, uh, was that it was one of those things where, like, the first duty was one of those um, shows that was sold to the next generation, not one developed by the writer's room, so the characters belonged to somebody else, not Paramount, and they couldn't get the the agreement from the creator of those characters, the, the owner of those copy that that character that copyright to use them in the series or it was too much money there was something about that that was the reason but then i talked to somebody who's like deep in voyager and he said it was because rick berman thought it would be confusing i think it's more confusing to have the exact same actor play the exact same character and just give him two different names would have been so much better to be Nick Locarno. You could have had references back to that episode. You could have had references back to that shit. Star, we love that in Star Trek. Reference the old stuff. I mean, don't over-reference like Picard. But, you know, that could have been great. You could have had a flashback episode. You could have had a Will Wheaton cameo with being a traveler and visiting Nick and something about, like, maybe um, um, the conflict that... Wesley has with maybe taking Voyager home and that they're not supposed to interfere as travelers, but because he, he can do the whole traveler thing and, you know, disappear like a set of Venetian blinds and move things and make them go far and all of that. That could have been a great episode. Anyway, Tom should have just been Nick Locarno. It's dumb that he wasn't. Um, okay. But I'm pretty much, I'm fine with the opening. No issues. Okay. So then you've got Voyager gets swept into the Badlands. Uh, most of the crew or the big, you know, department heads die, you get the EMH appearing, and then everybody disappears, and Harry and Bellana doesn't, don't come back from disappearing to the array or wherever. Okay. Here, again, I have no, like, it's a solid action-adventure plot. There's really missed opportunities with making this the first voyage of Voyager. Because the deaths of those department heads, they were new to the living characters, so it's not very impactful. It's like, oh shit, we have a crewman dead, that sucks. If there was a deeper relationship, if Voyager had already been in service for two years, and those people had worked together and bonded, and suddenly so many of them are dead, that gives you great stuff that gives you the potential for flashbacks to when voyager was in the alpha quadrant what those missions were maybe one of those missions impacted something that is now happening to them now or you know like like there was it's just a missed opportunity for emotional weight and for uh we love a flashback for flashbacks and seeing those characters again in the same way that we saw seska reappear in worst case scenario which was so fucking fun you know just missed opportunities to not not make those crew members more attached to Janeway and Tuvok, right? If Janeway, because Janeway and Tuvok, you you know, you're, you're told have been friends and colleagues for like a long time, make the first officer like the third of that triad. And then you've got them having to deal with that like they're, you know, their McCoy to their Kirk and Spock died. You know, that could really have some interesting story aspects that was just missed. Um, also, and I'm going to say this throughout, um, they really missed an opportunity to put a bell on Harry because Harry stay missing. Harry's always missing. In watching seasons one through three of Voyager, Harry is always missing. Harry's not on the ship. Harry got abducted by the holodeck. Harry disappeared into an alien sarcophagus. Har Harry's always gone. 
And so I think in the first episode, um, someone needed to put a bell on him. However, I will say the relationship between Harry and Bellana is something I really, really liked upon revisiting Voyager. And I liked what they did with it and wish they would have even done more. They sort of have this older sister, younger brother um, um, vibe, which I really, really, really like. And they're really good together. They have great chemistry. I I don't know. I really like the two of them and this setting up that relationship, which will grow. I'm very happy with that. Okay, so then we get to the Neelix of it all and the Kess of it all. And um, again, boy, do we love a caretaker over a child race. I just, no thank you. Also, the Kazon are just dirty Klingons. <laughs> They're Klingons who, like, haven't bathed, right? They're not unique enough. They're not, you know, there's... It's another, it's a tribal thing, and they've got some sort of honor code, and they even look like Klingons. It's like, why? why? With the opportunity to create a new baddie, you know, and not just take one from the Alpha Quadrant. You know, it was great that, you know, D-Space-9 took, you know, the Cardassians from a couple episodes of Next Generation. That's great. Obviously, you can't do that because you're in the Delta Quadrant, but why not? Some Something, something else, something else, something else. Um... Also, why the Star Trek universe loves to say loves to show that like the the Federation is the only group in the galaxy of its kind, right? All the other races are like one race, and they either subjugate other races or or have colonies or other worlds that they've conquered, and it's like the Federation is the only one who has like alliances and are working together as like this master alliance. Would have been real interesting for Voyager to actually be faced with something like the Federation that just doesn't care for Voyager or has a slightly different, you know, the Dominion was sort of a warped Federation because it was different worlds, but it was still built on conquest. I don't know. I think you could find something more interesting with sort of a, a Federation that just has a couple different values. I don't know. Something else, not the Kazon. Give them a baddie that follows them for the first couple seasons. Great. Establish that. But, and no, no to the Kazan. Um, in the final sequence, sacrificing to respect the caretaker's wishes, fine. It's fine. Packs a little bit of a punch, but not enough because the work wasn't done earlier in the episode. Right. So those are my general observations about caretaker. If you think I have have spoken blasphemy on this podcast, if you violently disagree with me, or you think that I missed something central, because again, I just watched seasons one through three, so Caretaker was like a couple weeks ago. I took notes, but you know, I'm, I'm old. My, my memory isn't as good as it used to be. So um, jump on the Instagram, uh, Star Trek Zhuzh, Z-H-U-Z-H, and tell me, what did I miss? What, uh, what else was icky? What was great that I said was icky? Fight me. Like, I want the fight. Fight me. Um, great. That's what the internet's good for. Arguing. Uh, or tell me that I, I hit the nail on the head. Whatever it is, follow Instagram at Star Trek Zhuzh and talk to me. All right. And now it is time in the last few minutes of the podcast to give you Jack Tracy's caretaker Zhuzh. All right. So I mentioned some of these throughout, but we'll just... I'll just recap. I want Voyager to be at least two years into its service so that we can deepen the relationships between Janeway, Tuvok, and the people who die. Okay? 
that can carry through the show and allow for flashback episodes, okay? Question. This is Voyager's first mission, and they are assigned to track down that Maquis ship, and Janeway has a personal stake because Tuvok is on it. Why is a science vessel being ordered to do that when the Defiant could have just gone and done that? Like, that seems like a job for the Defiant, and they're leaving from D-Space 9, so like... Am I missing? Did they explain why the Defiant's not available? Like, this was a job for the Defiant. Why is Voyager, a science vessel, assigned to do this? Uh, maybe there was a line that, like, Janeway volunteered for because of Tuva. I don't know. I don't like that. Instead, I think giving Janeway a little more edge and maybe making her a little Kirk-like is... And give her the weight of, like, having to live with this decision considering what happens... I think she just decides to go anyway because of her relationship with Tuvok. And it's not an ordered mission. And they go to, like, rescue their friend, basically. And it's a little, you know, Star Trek Three. Uh, they said, no, therefore I'm going anyway. Give us that. She goes and gets Tom because he's going to be able to, you know, navigate Voyager through the Badlands. And, you know, he's not on the up and up, so he can probably keep a secret. Right? Um, maybe she even breaks him out. I don't know. And of course, in my version, it's Nick Lacarno. I don't know. Uh, or he's just released and she goes and offers him a, a chance to like, you know, sort of a redemption. You've served your time now. You know, let's do our thing. Anyway, um, again, it adds heart, deepens the relationship if that's the premise. Okay. All right. Here's the thing that you're not going to like and it will require the episode's title to be changed is no caretaker no more caretakers no more supervisors no more you know faux alien gods no 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 let's make it a straight-up spatial anomaly that's caused by the confluence of weapons fire and the maquis right uh, to answer a couple plot and the fighting, right? And Maquis' ship got sucked in and the Kardashians were able to avoid it. The rupture is still there, but it's closing. Oh, maybe that's, if you don't want to do the Janeway stuff with like Janeway breaking the rules, maybe that's why they were sent because there's a spatial anomaly in the Badlands and Voyager is the most sci advanced science vessel. They can do whatever they need to do. It gets sucked in. That could be a good way into it. But spatial anomaly that is closing. So you've got the ticking clock. She's going to get Tuvok. Maybe she was only in to investigate it and she decides to go in because they see the Maquis ship went in and wasn't destroyed and she wants to get Tuvok back. And why didn't they fly back through once they got to the other side? It's disabled, right? And the decision to go after Tuvok, oh God, the decision after, to go after Tuvok results in the deaths of, you know, some of her crew. <sighs> such emotional weight, such stop, missed opportunities, okay, for like some real deep storytelling, right? So it's a straight up spatial anomaly, uh, it's opened by the weapons fire and the badlands and a confluence of science nonsense. And um, the threat to the Ocampa is that the rupture on the other side is right over the Ocampa homeworld and it's causing devastating effects. Um, maybe they they have to go underground instead of already starting underground. Um, and in doing so, you know, it, it, part of rectifying 
um, what they've done. They help them go underground and give them the shielding and the protection and all that stuff um, that they do when they destroy the array to protect them from the Kazon, like blah, 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 because they feel obligated because they caused or the Maquis caused or whoever caused the, the rupture that's impacting the planet. That could be an interesting way around the Prime Directive um, since they they caused it, right? Um, so why don't they, you know, go back and then the rupture, fix the, you know, help the Okampa and then go back? Well, you could have it that the evacuation that they need to do or the, the issue that they, they have to rectify the damage to the planet is going to take longer than the time for the thing to close, and they decide as a crew that they're going to stay and undo the damage they did. That it's more important to do that than to get home. Maybe it's... Um, and you could have it that the Maquis ship is completely disabled. So that uh, the like And, you know, shuttles can't withstand it. You know, some... The Maquis ship barely did. So there's, it's not like they could, like, send some people home. Or the Maquis could be like, yeah, we ain't into this. We're going. So they're stuck with them. You know, that could be interesting. Um, you could have something like, uh, the plan is, is that Chakotay volunteers, so you can give him, you know, his moment of like, oh, this isn't a bad guy. He volunteers to, on the Maquis ship to like, help close the anomaly. Maybe it's, it, you know, maybe they need to close it in order to save the Okampa. He's gonna, and they need the ship to do it, so, but the Maquis ship's gonna do it after Voyager goes through with the rest of his crew. You can have a Balana Chicote moment, like, we're not leaving you behind, blah, blah, blah. He volunteers for it, but when they're going through in sort of a Yesterday's Enterprise kind of way, um, the Kazon show up and they're attacking the thing and it's not gonna be done. You know, they, they don't think Chakotay's going to be able to do it with all of the attacks he's getting, so they decide to stay to help him, them. That builds a really great bond from the beginning between Janeway and Chakotay, and that Janeway saved one of the Maquis rather than take her crew home. That could have, you know, helped the initial bonds of them integrating. Anyway, great story stuff that was not used. Um, right. Okampa, why don't we, if we're going to borrow from Next Gen, because boy does Voyager like to do that, let's do TNG's first contact episode. Have them be a race that is pre-warp, right? And you could have Kess, you know, Harry and Bellana get down there, similar, you know, similar to Harry and Bellana down on the surface. They're there, and it's, you know, the society reacting to the presence of aliens, and Kess is fascinated so that makes her decision to go with them again we're gonna borrow from next gen let's let's borrow from that one right even though i criticize doing it you know and that gives Kess uh, a character trait of just the wonder of like discovering all the stuff that she never knew existed uh we can still have neelix show up in the way that he shows up and be the guide through the delta quadrant we can get them together not romantically in some sort of, you know, mentor, mentee kind of way, but God, get rid of the romance. Um, again, I'm okay with, like, the Kazon race having this sort of, like, Klingon Civil War side to it, but in to get them less Klingon-y, maybe instead of warriors, they're pirates at their or mercenaries. Just something that you can make them baddies and you can make them different factions. I like all of that. But you gotta change your look a little bit and you gotta make them less Klingon. No honor codes, no nothing like that. Um, right. And finally, 
Of course, at the end of the episode, I want Exactly as it happens, I want Janeway to give commissions to the Maquis, uh, I want Tom to be promoted to lieutenant, and I want them to give Harry a bell, because he's always going to be missing. All right, so that's my judge of caretaker. Now, since I removed the caretaker, how about you hop on the Instagram and you let me know what my judged episode should be titled? Uh... I think that could be fun. And I'll award the best title with a discount on a Star Trek Zhuzh t-shirt. How about that? So uh, hop on the Instagram. Give me what you think the title for my Zhuzh of Caretaker should be. And of course, tell me if you hated or loved anything that I said or have a better idea. And I will read them on future pods. So join me next week where I go through the entirety of season one. Again, not an episode by episode recap. I'll tell you the ones that I thought were strong, the ones that I thought were weak and were zhuzhable, and give sort of general zhuzhs to the arc of this season, things I thought were missing, and specific episodes that can be um, vaporized because they're bad. So bad. Not many, but too many. And overall, if we're going first seasons, it's pretty on par with Deep Space Nine. Next Generation was a train wreck. Anywho, uh, I'm Jack Tracy. Make sure to join the Patreon community at Star Trek Judge. Get some merch. Follow the Instagram. I'll see you next week.